Hey, podcast family. In May of 2022, the college is going to release a brand new clinical practice guideline, which is clinical practice guideline number three. It covers headaches in pregnancy and the postpartum interval. We're taping this on April the 29th, 2022. So we're three days ahead of schedule to get this out live. So what we're going to do is cover this as a quick synopsis, highlighting on some quick clinical pearls, but focusing specifically on one of the most common primary headaches out there, which is migraine headaches, okay? Now, although this new clinical practice guideline covers primary and secondary headaches, and don't worry, we're going to go ahead and define that during this podcast, I want to focus principally on primary headaches and treatment and prevention of migraine attacks. Ready? Let's cover clinical practice guideline number three right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Headache in pregnant and postpartum women may be the recurrence of a primary headache, either migraine, tension type, or a cluster headache. Or it can arise from the development of a secondary headache. So remember, a secondary headache means something else is going on. This can result from the exacerbation of a pre-existing medical condition or be the initial manifestation of some other primary CNS-related problem. Or secondary headaches can also be a neurological problem unique to pregnancy in the postpartum interval. Of course, the most common cause of headache that we get worried about during pregnancy in the postpartum interval, of course, is preeclampsia slash eclampsia. Man, headaches suck, and I hate when I have one, so I know it's even worse when you have one and you're pregnant. More than 3 billion people worldwide have disabling recurrent headaches. Although tension-type headache is more common, the disability associated with migraine headaches is greater and is ranked as the primary cause of disability in women younger than the age of 50. Is that weird or what? So that's a great clinical poll right there. If you're ever asked, I wonder what the primary cause of disability is in women younger than the age of 50. Yeah, it's migraine headaches. And of course, if you deal with women's health, you know that migraines is no stranger to what we do. Because migraine headaches preferentially affects women in about 1 in 5, much more than men, where it happens 1 in 16, and the prevalence peaks during reproductive age, migraine headaches requiring treatment are common complaints in pregnant and postpartum or lactating individuals. Because migraines are just so prevalent, especially during the reproductive age, ACOG reminds us that especially during preconception visits, now my patients don't really get a lot of preconception visits. I mean, it's hard enough for me to get them in the first trimester. But if your patients have the opportunity for preconception visits, that's the time to screen them for a history of migraine headaches and also to reevaluate which medications they're taking because some medications are not allowed during pregnancy. We're going to touch on that in this session. Remember that primary headaches are those headaches that don't have a secondary etiology, right? So your regular style of headache. Primary headaches include migraines, tension, cluster type, and other trigeminal autonomic cephalgias. I just love that word, cephalgia. I'm going to say that next time I have a headache. I have cephalgia. Anyway, they account for 90% of chronic and recurring headaches in reproductive age women. So that's another clinical pearl. 90% of chronic and recurring headaches are primary headaches. 
Okay, family, and remember this, that pregnant patients without a history of primary headaches or those with a history of pre-existing headaches that change in intensity or quality, those patients need to be considered to have a secondary headache until proven otherwise. Although primary headaches is much more common in pregnancy, because it is more common overall, secondary headaches can be bad. So we don't want to miss that. So any kind of change in headache frequency or new severe onset headaches, don't just attribute that to pregnancy or being tired or postpartum. If it's really severe, new onset, and there's a concern for secondary organic issues, you've got to do a workup. Now, remember, I know in this session we're focusing on primary, but that's just a little plug that don't avoid signs or symptoms of things that could be secondary. Before we get into the specifics about migraine, a quick word about non-pharmacological interventions that have been suggested for the prevention of primary headaches overall. Remember, this includes not just migraine, but migraine tension or even cluster. These non-pharmacological interventions may include lifestyle modification, like the avoidance of certain triggers, the use of relaxation techniques, adequate sleep, stress management tools, adequate hydration, and cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, there are limited data that supports the efficacy of these interventions during pregnancy, but of course, they're unlikely to cause harm, and they can only help. So even though there's no large RCTs or level one evidence that sleep adequate sleep patterns or stress management or adequate hydration actually helps. It can't hurt and it just encourages healthy lifestyles overall. And even the college says, look, things like acupuncture or biofeedback, hey, don't knock that. If it works for somebody, then that's fine. It's relatively safe and why not? The use of acupuncture or biofeedback for the prevention of headaches in pregnancy has limited data that supports efficacy, but again, the use of these interventions for other indications appears to be safe, and if it helps them, why not use it? Now, I have to be honest, in my population, if I told some of my patients, hey, make sure you sleep well and stay hydrated and try acupuncture, they're going to look at me like I'm nuts, and they're going to say, where's my script? <laughs> I need a prescription to try to prevent these headaches because it's killing me. And I, I feel for them. I understand that. Well, so does the college. So there are interventions that are pharmacological for the prevention of headaches in pregnancy. And we're going to talk about some because some are considered first line and some are not advised at all. The college does recognize the following medications as first line use for the primary prevention of headaches in pregnancy amlodipine, cyproheptadine, which is an antihistamine, diphenhydramine, yeah, regular old Benadryl, nifedipine, and verapamil. So those calcium channel blocker family, remember, calcium channel blockers of amlodipine, nifedipine, or verapamil, those are considered first line for the prevention of primary headaches during pregnancy, and those are ACOG-endorsed. Given the relative safety profile of calcium channel blockers and antihistamines, these classes of medications should be considered first-line agents for patients considering pharmacologic interventions for the prevention of primary headaches. Now, obviously, there's a long list of other medications that are used off-label in the non-pregnant population, but ACOG says hold off on those because some of those can be risky during pregnancy and during breastfeeding. If an antidepressant medication is considered for the prevention of primary headaches, then comparable risks and benefits need to be discussed with the patient. For example, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are not useful for the primary prevention of headaches, so they're not indicated for that reason, even though some people use them like that off-label. Also, venlafaxine, a serotonin and norepi reuptake 
uptake inhibitor has limited evidence for efficacy and is associated with an increased risk of preterm birth and neonatal withdrawal. So venlafaxine, no go during pregnancy. Now here's another clinical pearl. Amitriptyline has been around forever. It's a classic tricyclic antidepressant. What about that? Well, amnitriptyline as a tricyclic antidepressant has limited evidence for efficacy in pregnancy, but it's recommended for use outside of pregnancy. So this is where things get kind of gray. However, the use of tricyclic antidepressants in pregnancy for any indication has been associated with neonatal convulsions, neonatal respiratory distress, and even major congenital anomalies. So their use is not recommended. So remember, this is why I ideally discuss these issues preconceptionally, because if a woman is on a tricyclic antidepressant, they need to stop that before pregnancy occurs. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, podcast family, we just wrapped up a quick review on preventative methods for headaches. But what about when you already have a headache? What's the acute management of primary headache in pregnancy? Well, let's cover that right now. Acute pharmacologic treatment for migraine headaches in pregnancy should be approached, according to the college, in a stepwise progressive fashion, starting with medications that have proven fetal and maternal safety profiles. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? But that even includes NSAIDs. Yeah, you can use NSAIDs for migraines as long as they're limited to the second trimester. Now, wait a minute. We've got to clarify this because it's very tricky, this whole issue of NSAIDs in pregnancy. So listen to this because there's a lot of pearls we're going to drop right here. Yes, NSAID use in pregnancy is okay in the first and second trimester, but with some caveats. First of all, if you're going to use NSAIDs, even in the second trimester, you've got to use them very, very judiciously or sparingly, okay? They are second line, not first line. And if repeated administration is necessary, then the total duration per use should never exceed 48 hours, even in the second trimester. Also remember that we all get it, we're all drilled in that NSAIDs in the third trimester can lead to impaired renal function in oligo or premature closure of the fetal ductus arteriosus. And that's true. But it's much broader than that. The potential fetal harm with NSAID use in the third trimester even has some CNS effects. Remember this, that persistent use of NSAIDs in the third trimester has also been linked to neonatal periventricular leukomalacia intraventricular hemorrhage, and even necrotizing enrocolitis. And yes, we've already talked about the premature closure of the fetus ductus arteriosus, but that can also lead to persistent pulmonary hypertension. So it's not just the oligo and the ductus. There's other issues from pulmonary hypertension, periventricular leukomalacia, and even necrotizing enrocolitis. So even though NSAIDs are allowed, be careful with them, only use them if you have to, and never use them past the second trimester. All right, so if NSAIDs are allowed, but for the shortest duration possible and only up to the second trimester and they're considered second line, well, what the heck is first line? 
Well, ACOG recommends acetaminophen 1,000 milligrams orally as the initial therapy for the treatment of acute migraine. Now, I know what you're thinking. Really? Tylenol? 1,000 milligrams? Well, yeah. It's just the way it is. Now, here's another important clinical pearl. We've all learned that the maximum amount of acetaminophen is 4 grams for 24 hours. But that's not the case during pregnancy. Because in pregnancy, there can be this conversion to a toxic metabolite that can increase in pregnancy. And that can enhance the risk of maternal hepatotoxicity. So, the manufacturer of Tylenol actually recommends a lower 24-hour maximum exposure of 3 to 3.25 grams of acetaminophen. All right, so that's a good clinical pearl. If you're ever asked how much Tylenol can somebody take, well, assuming normal liver function, it's 4 grams as long as they're not pregnant. And if they're pregnant, it's 3 to 3.25 grams over a 24-hour interval. Now, I know that's a hard sell, right? Oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry you got a headache. Here's some Tylenol. Wow, that really sucks. But that's the safest. But in case you need to kick it up a notch, well, ACOG also realizes that, that sometimes that's necessary. ACOG suggests use of acetaminophen combined with caffeine for the treatment of migraine headache, but with some caution for potential fetal effects when the caffeine dose exceeds 200 milligrams per day. So it's important to know how much caffeine is actually in that combination pill because you don't want to go past 200 milligrams per day. Remember that there are some over-the-counter combination products that have 500 milligrams of acetaminophen with caffeine at 65 milligrams per caplet. So you got to tell the patient, watch how much you're taking and read the ingredients. Look what's in there because you don't want to go past 200 milligrams per day. Now, if additional doses are needed, then they can be achieved by supplementing a single acetaminophen caffeine combination tablet with additional plain acetaminophen. Well, I can tell you what I do, and it also works, and ACOG recognizes that you can bootleg this as well. On a bad headache, especially post-call, when I'm totally dehydrated, I have a big glass of water, I take 1,000 milligrams of Tylenol, and then I take half a can of soda or a little bit of coffee because dietary caffeine also does the trick as well. Just remember, limit to 200 milligrams per day. Now, for the next medical option, I'm so thankful that ACOG put this into the clinical practice guidance because we've been doing this for years, but we really had nowhere to kind of point at and go, look, the college says it's okay, but it's here now. ACOG does recommend metoclopramide 10 milligrams, either IV or oral, alone or in combination with Benadryl, divinhydramine, 25 milligrams, as additional treatment for persistent headache in pregnancy. Look, the combination of diphenhydramine and metoclopramide or Reglan and Benadryl, that just works. If you've never used it, I'm telling you, it breaks that headache very, very well. Now, remember that the main benefit of using diphenhydramine along with metoclopramide is that using diphenhydramine can counter the akinesia or the restlessness that's sometimes associated with metoclopramide. Plus, the sedating effect of the antihistamine may also help with the migraine resolution. Well, what about the use of triptans like Imitrex? For patients with migraine headaches inadequately controlled by either acetaminophen alone or acetaminophen as a combination product, some physicians have used triptans as secondary therapy, mostly sumatriptan. 
Tryptans, however, remember, are not analgesics. Instead, they cause vasoconstriction of cranial and dura mater vessels by stimulating the vascular 5-HT receptors, specifically 5-HT1B and 5-HT1D. What about safety? Well, in one AHRQ review that used sumatriptan, they did find an increased risk of childhood emotional liability and hyperactivity at three years of age with exposure. And remember, also, there's just inadequate safety data on what triptan exposure can do to uterine or fetal blood flow. We just don't know that. It's not known whether triptans vasoconstrict uterine or fetal vasculature, so that makes people like me uncomfortable using them during pregnancy. And remember, although rare, because of the risk of cardiac or generalized vasoconstriction, triptans should not be used in any pregnant patient that has cardiac disease or hypertension. So remember, even though we don't have a lot of safety data, I mean, we've got to do something. I mean, we've got to have some compassion. We can't let her sit there with a persistent headache and intractable pain. So if triptans are considered as a secondary therapy, then sumatriptan does provide the best option as an emergency use medication. Now, before we leave this topic of triptans, a quick word about breastfeeding. Expert opinions suggest avoiding breastfeeding for 8 to 12 hours after sumatriptan use and about 24 hours after use of other triptans. Low levels of sumatriptan are present in breast milk, but because of poor bioavailability, the amount of sumatriptan that's actually transferred to the fetal circulation is still very small. Nonetheless, it's still, once again, expert opinion to avoid breastfeeding for 8 to 12 hours after sumatriptan use. Remember, the main issue with triptan was the issue of vasoconstriction. It's that vasoconstrictive response of triptans that also kicks out the use of ergot alkaloid-containing products in pregnancy. ACOG recommends against the use of ergot alkaloid-containing products to treat migraines in pregnancy. These medications are potent vasoconstrictors when they're used either in combination with an NSAID or used alone. So because of this strong vasoconstrictive issue and because they can also strongly stimulate myometrial contractions, they should not be used at any stage of pregnancy for the treatment of migraine. And that recommendation against ERCOT alkaloids isn't just regarding pregnancy, but they're also not recommended to treat migraine headache in lactating women as well. And as we get ready to wrap this up, we've got to give the final word on opioid narcotics. ACOG recommends against the use of medications containing opioids like codeine, hydrocodone, or oxycodone, or hydromorphone just to treat migraines in pregnancy. There's a whole issue of potential abuse, the possibility of developing medication overuse headache, and of course the whole issue of dependency withdrawal and neonatal opioid exposure. So no, stay away from the opioid narcotics for headache. Remember that the recommendation against opioids isn't just about pregnancy because they're not recommended even during postpartum or lactation. So the short answer is just avoid opioids as long as possible. And here's the last clinical pearl related to ergot alkaloids in breastfeeding. Exposure to ergot alkaloids during breastfeeding has been associated with nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and even weakness in the baby. And there's also maternal suppression of prolactin and lactation. So remember, stay away from ergot alkaloids, not just in pregnancy, but during breastfeeding as well.
All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have summarized the key aspects of primary headache during pregnancy and during lactation out of the clinical practice guideline that's coming out May 2022, which is clinical practice guideline number three. As always, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you're part of our podcast family. And we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.